Well, hi there. Welcome to In the Clinic with Camille. My name is Camille Freeman. I am a licensed nutritionist and registered herbalist. And in this podcast, I share little tips and tidbits that might be interesting or helpful for other practitioners. I am delighted to share with you this week an interview that I did with herbalist Gina Badger discussing burnout, as well as general strategies that we may be able to put in place as clinicians in order to protect our time, to protect our energy, and to set more clear boundaries with our clients and even with ourselves in order to prevent burnout or to give ourselves a little bit of breathing room if we're already in that space. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to Um, bring Gina in to talk to us on the podcast is because Gina specializes in working with practitioners who are experiencing burnout, care workers, I think is the word they specifically use. And so I thought, who better, who better to discuss this than somebody who has experienced it themselves, but also somebody who works with others who are going through this process. I'm going to give you the short version of Gina's bio. I'm going to put the full version in the show notes if you want to learn more about them or perhaps connect with them if you are feeling a little bit of burnout yourself and want to get some care, um, check the bio. And at the end of the episode, Gina will also share some uh, links and other ways to get in touch. So Gina is a clinical energetic herbalist who offers care through their multidisciplinary clinic named Longspell. I love the name Longspell, by the way editorial note. (laughs) Their life work is contributing to a collective vision of holistic healthcare that's equally heartfelt and irreverent, down to earth and visionary, gentle and rigorous. So like I said, check, check the show notes for the full version of Gina's bio and let us dive into the interview. All right. Well, I am here with Gina. I'm so excited to talk to you today and I'm really grateful that you were able to carve out some time, especially given um, the topic (laughs) that we're going to be talking about. So um, I'm wondering if you could just start us off and tell us a little bit about uh, burnout, Mm -hmm. how you understand that phenomenon and and how it showed up for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, I mean, there's, there's like a sort of standard clinical definition for what burnout is. That's pretty narrow. That tends to focus mostly on like workplace performance. Um, my understanding is an experience <laughs> is more holistic. Um, and I think probably quite a bit more broad. Um, I think like subjectively for me, burnout was just this feeling that, um, part of my job is to, um, is to take care of myself so that I can show up for my clients. I mean, part of my job, but like a fundamental part of my job is to do that. And so, um, when I started to get the sense that like, I was, I was like approaching that I was approaching a big strain in my ability to do that. Um, which, which kind of starts to show up in little ways initially, like, um, a routine that normally is seamless, like suddenly not working anymore. Um, things start to get, um, things start to pile up. Things aren't manageable anymore. Um, yeah, like it's, I think for me, I started to notice little details, but I also started to notice just like one of the hallmarks of even the clinical definition of burnout, which is just like 
an extreme exhaustion that like is not that like doesn't go away you know it's like certainly not at the end of the weekend um and uh this happened for me at a time when um I was doing a year-long clinical training program and so I was in class online for seven hours a day every week for a year and sort of like you know halfway or a quarter of the way through some some way through that um it really dawned on me what a commitment that is because of course it's not just those seven hours it's everything you need to do to show up for those seven hours um and then also just like the ripple effect in terms of like how that how that impacts the rest of your schedule. And in my case, um, I I didn't make any major alterations to my practice. I was still running my business um, at the same time, and it was just getting to be too much. The weekend wasn't enough. I would routinely look ahead at my schedule for the next couple of months, see when I didn't have that many clients or didn't have any clients booked in the week. And I would just like block the time off and like take myself away. <laughs> and for me in particular, I live um, in Vancouver on the West Coast and we're pretty close to a bunch of little um, Gulf Islands. You can take a ferry and just kind of be like drop off the edge of the world for a minute. And so um, I kept basically booking emergency trips to go do that. And I couldn't really afford those trips. I couldn't afford the time off. I couldn't afford the, you know, the rental rate, but I just kind of had to, like, it was my, it was the way that I was propping myself up. And after doing that enough times, I was like, okay, <laughs> I think I'm burned <laughs> out. I think I need to like really pull back and make some changes. Yeah. Yeah. And can you talk to us a little bit about what changes you made? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I, I mean, I think that there were a lot and I'm still making them like this was about a year and a half ago, the, the period that I just narrated. So there were some immediate changes that I made. And that was, I basically did a survey of like, what are the things in my practice that are um, taking more time than they need, than they ought to. Um, and that's both like literally, you know, the time spent replying to a message, but also the emotional energy that it takes sometimes to like respond over and over again and explain things. Um, so I really tried to turn some energy to like, what can I systematize and automate to create room in both of those senses? Um, so in particular, I, I revamped my communications policy to make sure that all of my clients know what to expect from me in terms of communication between appointments, um, made sure that language was really clear and tight in my intake form. Um, same with the cancellation policy, just making sure that there wasn't going to you know, because if you're, if there's like a ripple effect to all these things, if your cancellation policy isn't clear and people don't know what it is, they're going to email you to ask about it. And then maybe you don't know the answer to their question. You need to spend the time figuring it out. And then you need to, you know, tear your hair out, trying to figure out how to articulate it properly. So um, I just identified some holes in those policies and tightened them up. Mm. I think that same went for payment, like all of these sort of 
the, the bracketing of the clinical work to make sure that the way I had that set up served me and that I communicated it clearly. And then um, around this time, I got an, an email autoresponder from my friend and colleague, Marika, who um, is a somatic practitioner. And um, basically it was like an auto reply that said some very basic things. Um, like if you want to re reschedule your appointment, here's the link. Um, if you are thinking maybe you want to work together, here's what the process is. Uh, if you want to sign up for my group, like make sure you read this page before you ask me a question. Um, and also letting people know um, when she checks email and how often it takes, how long it takes for her to reply. Um, and I thought, well, that's a really good idea. <laughs> um, so I implemented something similar. Um, and yeah, I feel like the, the combined effect of those things just let me kind of take a, take a breath, create a little bit of honestly, mostly like emotional and psychological mm -hmm. space so that I could attend to myself and to some bigger things that I needed to look on, look at changing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things we, we kind of communicated about this a little bit, and um, I just thought it was really lovely the way you put it was that creating the surface boundaries helps clear your time to address bigger things. And so Mm -hmm. surface boundaries in in this case would be things like getting your autoresponder and really getting super clear on communication and policies and cancellation and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, just yeah, because I, I, oh, go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, I think for so many practitioners starting out, it's hard to front load the time in policies because it's pretty painstaking and to some extent, you don't really know what you need until you do it. And then you're like, oops, need a policy for that. So I think in part for me, this was just a moment of um, of kind of coming clear with myself about those things. Yeah. And I find that a lot of people are um, kind of Frankensteining policies where it is like, oh, it came up. So I added this one little clause, but maybe didn't step back in at the time and say, oh, okay, how does this fit into the bigger picture? Am I communicating this to people? Is it just a teeny little thing somewhere? Are there conflicting things written in different places? Because after you've been in practice for a while, that's what you wind up with is the Frankenstein of everything. Like it says one thing on your website and one thing in this form and one thing in the welcome letter. And um, yes. So I think that is, like you said, it's so painstaking to go through every last little thing and be like, okay, what is it actually saying? What is my policy? Is it working? Could it be better for me or the client, et cetera? Yeah. Um, I know people will be curious. So I was wondering if you would be willing to share what is your communication policy with clients between visits? Mm, yeah, interesting. It actually is shifting, I think, <laughs> um, in part in response to um the my work that I did in the grow course that you facilitate um I had around this burnout time tightened up what already kind of existed which is like a pretty hard line communications policy which is basically like if you get a new prescription if you develop new symptoms while you're working with the formula 
um, if you get a new diagnosis, like please email me immediately because I, I need to know that in case it affects um, safety or and appropriateness of the formula. Um, but outside of that, basically, if you have like a clinical question or if you email me for some other reason, um, I will prorate my hourly rate for like the time that it takes to work through your issue over email. Um, on the one hand, I think it's great to have a policy like that because then um, if when it does happen that somebody wants to have a more extended discussion that would typically occur within the space of a follow-up appointment, um, it's easy to just say, um, we can discuss this over email when that happens. I prorate my hourly rate. Or if you want, we can wait until your next appointment. So your client is at choice around um, how they want to apply resources to that support request that they have. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but then on the other hand, I feel like um, it just, I've basically never done that. Um, I've never charged anybody um, in that way. Um, and that's, I think that's a combination of the fact that I have the policy so people don't ask for that kind of support. And also um, I'm often ha very happy to just answer a quick question. It's not a big deal. And I don't need to charge $1.50 for that or whatever, right. <laughs> or, or whatever the 15 minute increment is. Um, but yeah, and then in the grow course, you know, one of the things we talked about is what are what are some um, like easily doable ways to um, like enha enhance the client experience or like I forget what the language is that you use around it. Just make sure that they're having like a good, a great experience once they're in the with once they're in your practice. Um, and I did find that even on my end, like I was missing that a little bit, like I kind of wanted to, um, like I, I sometimes wanted the client to let me know how the surgery went or, or whatever. Um, and that it, it, it kind of helped me as well. I don't, with the, the with the depth of work that we are doing as herbalists, like I'm not, I don't have like 200 current clients. Um, you know, at any point, it's maybe a maximum of 50 at the very most. Um, and that's not like too many people to be having some contact with between the appointments. Um, so yeah, I've started initiating little check-ins like that. Um, I use Gmail and I'll schedule send often. If someone tells me they have a surgery date, I'll get right after the appointment, send an email just saying, how's your recovery going? Schedule send. Um, yeah. And I've been finding it doesn't take that much time. It actually helps me to be in a place with the follow-up where I know where things are at and I know what question to ask and it, I'm feel more prepared. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And then there's, there's just, there's always the option to say, okay, we've gone to a depth with this where I think we should really talk about it in your next appointment. And that's a fine thing to say. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's absolutely a fine thing to say. Um, yeah, I do think it's, it's almost like some policies are reactive or responsive to something that's happening. And then some are sort of proactive. And then you realize, actually, I didn't need that. Mm -hmm. um, like a theoretical policy and then 
Um, but that's the thing. They are kind of living documents. So mm-hmm. We can adjust them as we go. Um, yeah. So you were saying before we went live here that you've been sort of um, dancing with the idea of clear communication versus excessive communication mm-hmm. in in some of these matters. And I was wondering if you could share kind of what's on your mind or what you've been thinking about those ideas lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a couple facets of it. Before I started working as a, an herbalist, I was an editor. And so I'm kind of, it's something that I'm always thinking about is like the details, the material of the words makes a difference. So obviously, um, yeah, we want to say enough and be complete and thorough in our policy and communication around that. But also if there's extra words, you can lose people pretty easy. So that's one element of it that I've been thinking about with my email autoresponder in particular, just making sure like going through and tightening it up for the 10th time. (laughs) So it still doesn't read like a robot, but it's also like um, not overly wordy. Um, But the other, I mean, the other thing I'm thinking about, this may be like a level of technical detail that's not interesting, but um, my practice expanded this year to include another practitioner. And so at this point, um, the auto, you know, there's a bunch of emails. There's like a public facing email that is connected to um, both practitioners booking emails. And so those emails come to me and not to the other practitioner and just kind of sorting through the, the details around like which autoresponder should go to, to whom and like the mechanism that that autoresponder goes out. So I was using Gmail's vacation responder, but when you do it that way, it's one message that goes out to all of the addresses that come in through your inbox. Um, and that just didn't work anymore with more than one person. So I, I've switched to using templates, um, and filters mm-hmm. with it, anyone who uses Gmail, that'll make sense. And anyone who doesn't, you'll be like, huh? <laughs> um, but yeah, templates, uh, templates basically are like canned responses that you can draft within Gmail. And then you can use a filter to send that canned response to a particular subset of the messages that you get. And you can set that one of the parameters as like, what's the email that it was sent to. Um, But the difference is that an autoresponder, it doesn't get to sent to every single email um, that the person sends. So it'll send it only once every four days or something. Whereas the canned response and filter thing, it sends it to literally every message. So you might've even noticed that today when we were communicating. Um, And I think that's annoying. Uh, I wouldn't want that. So um, that's where I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, here I am communicating clearly, but excessively to the point of like being irritating to people. Um, So I don't have the solution figured out yet. Yeah, I love these technical details because I feel like 
so much of clinical practice is these types of things where it's like, well, if I get it set up, it's really going to help. But there, it, it, it takes a lot of work and thought and effort and technical knowledge to get it that way. Yeah. And so it is, it's almost like trying and tr- trying different things and then be like, nope, not that one. I'm going to make this adjustment. Nope, not that one. And you just keep chipping away at it. Um, yes, exactly. And it's, I mean, I think the, yeah, it's one of the things that's maybe the hardest for me, like psychologically or emotionally about this work is because all of that work is just basically invisible. Like our, our clients are unaware that we're doing it. They don't care. They certainly don't want to pay us to do it. Um, and yet it's, it's really vital if without it, we can, we can't, yeah, we can't show up for that hour that we spend with them and be focused and compassionate and skilled. And so, yeah, it can feel, it can feel demoralizing for me sometimes when you're yeah. in the middle of trying to find the solution. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I hear that. And I also you know, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on here to talk about this because um, just just something as basic as the autoresponder, which not everybody has and maybe not everybody has even considered having, but that type of thing, it, it is, it's the invisible unseen work that isn't standard. You know, you don't graduate from herb school and they're like, oh, well, be sure you set up your autoresponder. <laughs> like that's just, you have to learn that on your own. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not verbalized. It's not out there as a strategy for people to think about and consider and work with themselves if it seems appropriate. Um, and so I do think just, it's such a small thing, but it can make a big difference. And I was actually realizing I didn't circle back and ask you, have you noticed since you had the autoresponder and changed some of these policies, have you noticed a difference in your clients? Um, the types of questions, the volume of questions, anything along those lines? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think that the biggest thing that the auto response, that I need the autoresponder for, and that it does a good job with is um, expectations around how quickly people are going to hear back from me. So, um, you know, I'm not, doing, I'm not focusing on communications for every one of my work days, but I do tend to check my email at some point during the day between Tuesday and Saturday, which is my work week. So just letting people know, like I check my email Tuesday through Saturday. I typically respond within two working days, but it also might take a little bit longer. Um, that's, that's huge. (laughs) Um, uh, I just had changed my autoresponder because I was actually on vacation and then I forgot to switch it back to the standard. And, you know, someone, a client had an appointment scheduled today that they needed to reschedule and they were new and they didn't know how to do it themselves. And I got several emails from this person that were getting increasingly frantic because they were worried I was going to charge them the cancellation fee. And did I get their email? And, um, and then I was like, um, you know, that happened because I didn't, 
<laughs> I didn't take care of my autoresponder and it just like, unleashes this chain of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yes, so it, that piece really helps. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece that's related to that, um, is, well, yeah, is, um, for clients will email to order a refill of their formula. Um, and they will often wait until the last minute to do that. And there's a turnaround time. I'm not in the apothecary every day. Um, you know, so if you need your refill next week, there's, you, there's a certain timeline that you need to let me know. Um, and so it, it's been really helpful for that too. So, um, people know what to expect in terms of receiving that refill, um, after they send the email and I don't have to lay it all out a million times. Plus it, yeah, it just means it's like, I, I know if I'm away from my desk that, this is the biggest thing. It's the anxiety piece for me. Like I'm not fussing that I have to like send the email to let them know. I just know it's taken care of. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. I, I do think that especially setting the expectation is so important because people have just different email cultures Mm -hmm. and there, I do have clients who will be sort of anxious or expecting a response within the day like that is their they're just on email a lot and they for them you if you don't get back within a day there's like some issue Mm -hmm. and I do think that having laying out the expectation and just saying like listen here's the days I check email here's how fast I can get back to you I have received your message I think that's the other thing with an autoresponder it's like I got it it didn't go into the ether. You know? <laughs> like it was received. It has been filed away somewhere in line for response. I think that can be reassuring mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. For people. One of the things I realized, because um, I've also been sort of just trying to figure out my own inbox situation and all this, um, but I realized that I personally was contributing to the expectations by responding too quickly sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like the faster you respond, the faster people expect you to respond. Yes. And so I also think, um, at least for my practice and my work, there's very few emergencies. <laughs> you know, like most of the time they could wait a day or two or even a week without it being a major mm-hmm. issue. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I love the idea of vocalizing or um what do you, what's the equivalent in writing <laughs> getting it out there so that people know here's mm-hmm. the plan here's the plan mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean there's an irritating amount of discipline that's required to your last point around like e- creating email cultures that are humane which includes yeah i think like not checking our email at times that we can't actually reply because then you're just wasting your time like reading the email and flagging it to deal with later and I think we're we all do that because it is just the whole like dopamine inbox thing yep absolutely (laughs) hard to it's really hard to figure out how to how to damper that yeah nope I I absolutely hear that. And, uh, I was, 
yesterday I saw something, a blog post somebody wrote maybe, but it was just a very basic blog post. And the premise of it was don't spend more time replying to somebody's email than they spend writing the email. Mm. I was like, oh, that's, I mean, it's a little different for a client, I think, depending on, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a different relationship, but sort of a plain old email in the inbox. I was like, oh, it's actually a really good point that somebody has clearly sent you a form letter. This happened to me today. I got a form. It's clearly a letter, an email that had been sent to a number of different people and just changed out the, the name. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was asking for a fair amount of work on my part. <laughs> I was like, right. I don't, you know, it's, it's like you're talking about, it's a little thing, but then when you look at it in the context of creating space and leading towards burnout and making time for the things that are your actual paid work, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that all ties in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so anyway, for me, that was a helpful, I, was, I never really thought about it in that term in those terms before, but I like that <laughs> little, mm-hmm. little motto. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good thing. Good thing to hold. Remember. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, speaking of time. Um, <laughs> and so I, I just so thankful for you sharing all these experiences. And it, it seems like to me, the takeaway here is that is that the more work we can do on the front end to establish some of these non-sexy processes mm-hmm. to to create smoothness and clarity, the more space we have and the possibly the more we can ward off um, like overwork and burnout. Would you say yeah, that's that's I a fair so. fair summary? I think frontlining and then just sort of thinking about like to your point earlier about a different version of a thing ending up on the website versus on like the booking platform, this type of thing, like something I, something I really appreciate about um, some of the systems and structures that you have put in place that you open up to um, practitioners you're in dialogue with and supporting through your work is um, having just kind of regular check-ins where there's a certain number of things that you're doing. So I feel like maybe with policies, you know, we tend to notice as we're working with them, oh, this isn't quite working. Um, And I feel like there could be a nice, maybe it's like a monthly admin task where it's like, you've got a little list of things that you put in the parking lot throughout the month that was like, you need to tweak this or amend that or remove this thing um, and kind of grouping those tasks together. So you can be a little more systematic about implementing the changes when you need to, instead Mm. of doing it a little bit of piecemeal here and there. Yes. I love that idea of adding it to a monthly review or even a quarterly type of review of the policies just to make sure, um, because it is so easy to handle it for one person and forget to handle it at the systems level. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I'm going to adjust it a little bit. Um, but it, but if you don't adjust it at the, yeah, all the places it needs to be adjusted, then it just creates bifurcations that are complicating everything. <laughs> yes, um, indeed. Such a great idea to add it 
yeah, to have a later list or a parking lot and just actually add it to a to-do list at a specific time. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, as it is, it's that, it's that under the surface work that can make everything easier or not. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, anything else that you wanted to say to folks who um, are other practitioners who might be experiencing any of this before we wrap up? Mm-hmm. Yes, there is one thing, which is um, I think there's you can dig really deep with burnout around like how did it occur in the first place? What are the underlying factors? And I really encourage everybody to explore that for themselves because um, unfortunately, I feel like it's a bit of a chronic condition um, for people who do care work. Um, and, you know, some of the things that are causing it, we can change and control and others we can't. But I think for those things that are within our domain, like we we owe it to ourselves and to our clients to, to do that. Um, and one of my own insights around that, that I just want to like underline is that I don't I don't think that burnout is necessarily so much about trying to do too many things, because I think as humans, we have many examples of people who do a lot and do a lot until the day they die. And you're like, how do they do that? Um, And I think I have a theory, which is that it's actually more about the balance of doing things that draw and doing things that feed us. And so part of, for me, I think that the the, the regular check-in that I need to have with myself is like, am I doing enough to feed myself um, so that I have the capacity to, to show up and do the work? Mm. Um, and, you know, it's like literally feeding myself like food I'm enjoying, but also it's like, yeah, am I, am I seeing my friends? Am I, do I have a hobby? Like, these are really serious questions that we um, are somewhat, easier to overlook than we think. And I think, yeah, we're all counseling our clients to do, to do that kind of stuff, but really, um, joy is important and pleasure is important. And so I think that some of the space that we can free up with policies, (laughs) like it needs to go toward, um, yeah, like joy and pleasure and social life and love and all those important things that actually, um, keep, keep us thriving. Oh, I love that. Which uh, brings me to a point, which we haven't mentioned yet, which which is that you help people with this. (laughs) (laughs) You specifically help care providers who are experiencing burnout or similar types of symptoms. Do you want to mention anything about that type of work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Something I've been working on this year is an introductory offering for care workers. And it's the a very broad, very generous, very open definition of what a care worker is. So if any of your paid or unpaid work involves supporting others, um, I consider that to be care work. Um, and the introductory offer is two short appointments spaced about a month apart and a formula. Um, And in the intake, we, yeah, we, we kind of do an inventory of what are, what are the things that, um, what are three tiny actions that you can implement right away to create some breathing space? Um, 
and then the the herbal formula works on lots of like nervous system support and um, supporting the endocrine system with in recovering from stress and whatever else is needed. However, those symptoms are impacting the individual person, but it's kind of like a rescue formula a little bit, mm -hmm. like let's start, mm -hmm. start rebuilding. Um, yeah. And then there's options to, to do that work on an ongoing basis as you kind of go deeper into how do we want to care for the underlying patterns that, that got you into the emergency place. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's been a super, super fun offering to do. It started out as just a, an experiment. Um, and I've, I think I'm going to keep it for an ongoing, uh, as an ongoing offering. So yeah, it's there on my website, which is longspell.com. And uh, if any practitioners want help with burnout, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> right? I do. I do think that as a practitioner, sometimes we feel like, Oh, I am an herbalist. Like, why do I need to go to an herbalist to help me? But it's so, it's such a different energetic to have that outside perspective and, um, Absolutely. yeah, to, to trust somebody else to support you is, um, it's a big part of the healing process, I think. So yeah, I love that that's there. Encourage people to reach out to Gina if you are on the verge or already over, over the cliff a little bit. Um, and Gina, is there anywhere else that people can connect with you if they want to just follow along, um, social or newsletter or anything like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have fits and starts of activity on Instagram. Uh, the handle is long spell clinic, um, where you can also see, um, my, friend and colleague Nika Hanjani's um, somatic experiencing practice. Um, and there's a newsletter that you can sign up for um, either via the Instagram or the, or the long spell website. I love it. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in to talk to us about this. I hope this is helpful for um, people and please reach out to Gina if you think um, there's some support needed. All right. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Camille. Thanks for listening to In the Clinic with Camille. Hey, did you know that I write a weekly practitioner note for herbalists and nutritionists? If you would like to get that in your inbox, you can sign up at camillefreeman.com newsletter. Love to have you join us there.